It's beautiful, but um, it's what I'm paid for, so I better, um, <laughs> better do it. So my lovely daughter, a few years ago, she bought me a book called um, 101 Things to Do During a Dull Sermon. I'm not sure why. It's never been required at Baldy Village Chapel, I don't believe. But, um, but I was thinking, um, I, I, asked, uh, I asked Siri yesterday... I asked Siri, how many sermons have ever been preached in churches throughout history? Siri did not have a clue. But I, it must be, I mean, it must be billions. It must be like 100,000 sermons being preached today. So there's been billions of sermons over the years. Well, I'm going to read you an extract this morning from the very first sermon that was ever preached in the church. And uh, it's from, we're kind of jumping ahead, so I know it's Easter Day, but we're jumping ahead five weeks to Pentecost. Because the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, that was when the church exploded into life, and the Apostle Peter had to try and explain what was going on. And so Peter preaches the very, very first sermon ever preached to the church. And uh, quite possibly I may preach the last. But anyway, it's from uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And just a little extract from verse um, 22. It says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Would you open our hearts and minds to be attentive to what you want to say for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Sometimes people think that uh, to be a follower of Jesus is, is it's kind of boring, it's life limiting, it's, uh, it's unexciting. Well, if you were to speak to any of the early apostles, they would, have, they would have said precisely the opposite. Every time they woke up in the morning with Jesus, they must have wondered, what on earth is he going to do today? Jesus healed the sick, he cast out demons, he walked on water, he multiplied food. Jesus was always surrounded by a crowd of people. Because they were fascinated by what he said and what he did. No one following Jesus was ever bored. They were stunned and amazed and astonished. When you read the Gospels, those are the words associated with Jesus. People are amazed. People are astonished. It's a tragedy that so many people attend church and are bored. Being with Jesus is the opposite of boring Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him. People around Jesus, they thought he was the best thing ever. 
And when he rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, they thought things are just going to get better and better and better. And then they got to Good Friday and suddenly there's this huge tragedy that none of them were expecting. It was a complete disaster and they're all stunned and disillusioned. Jesus had tried to explain the fact that he was going to die because, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a disastrous end to what had been up until then, a successful campaign. It was exactly what God had purposed from the beginning of time. It wasn't a tragedy. It wasn't a disaster. It was God's set purpose. God sent his son Jesus to the cross. Why did he send his son Jesus to the cross? Why was he nailed to the cross? I always love it in the Bible when you come across a but. There's some very lovely buts in the Bible. Whenever you get to a but, you always know something very exciting is going to follow. And it generally comes after something that's been a bit kind of, you know, a bit depressing. Like Jesus dying on the cross. Put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But, but, I love it that in our lives, God loves throwing in buts. The testimonies that have been shared this morning were so powerful because they spoke of life not being easy. The path of life being really difficult. The wheels coming off. But, with God there's always a but. No matter what your circumstances, no matter how dark the day, God always has a but. And the biggest but was Easter Sunday. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Death is an agony, that's why we don't talk about it. Because death is, it's, it's a tragedy. Death is horrible. Death is it's just a, it's a rip in the fabric of our lives. It breaks our hearts. It's awful. And all of us are going to suffer it. But God raised him from the dead. Why? Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Have you ever had a moment where you've thought, I wish I hadn't thought that. Or I wish I hadn't said that. Or... I wish I hadn't done that. I guarantee 100% of us have had those thoughts. I wish I hadn't. Well, if you've ever thought that, it means that you you try and live your life to a certain standard and you realise that you've fallen short of the standard that you've set yourself, which is why you say, I wish I hadn't. Well, God has a standard, but his standard is perfection. It's the standard of perfection. Why couldn't death... Keep, its hold, keep hold of Jesus because Jesus was the only one who never ever had that thought, I wish I hadn't. Jesus never ever thought, I wish I hadn't thought that, I wish I hadn't said that, I wish I hadn't done that because he was, he was God's perfect son. That's why death couldn't hold him. To find someone whom death can't keep hold of and to benefit from what they've done is the best thing that you could ever discover because death awaits all of us. But Jesus is the one that death couldn't keep a hold of. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lords and Christ. There's a hymn that we sang on Good Friday. And the first line is, how deep the Father's love for us. And there's a line in one of the verses that says, it was my sin that held him there. It was my sin that held him to the cross. In order to benefit from what Jesus has done, in order to inhabit 
the life and life in all its fullness that Jesus wants for us, we have to come to that point of realising actually it was, I fell short. I fell short of who he was. I fell short of God's glory. I fell short not only of my own standards, but the standards of, of God. I fell short. I need, I need a rescuer. I need someone to help me. I have a friend who, uh, I remember when he said, he was talking about why he, why he followed Jesus. He said, well, I follow Jesus because I'm an idiot. And I know every morning when I wake up, I face a day in which I'm going to have to make lots of decisions. And on my own, I'll make some really stupid decisions. He says, I need someone to help me. Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life in all its fullness. Why would you not want life in all its fullness if that's what's on offer? That's what Jesus said he'd come to bring. And he is Lord. He is Lord. Whether we acknowledge it or not, Jesus is Lord. And he invites us to come to him. Some of you will remember um, Bob Gardner, who used to live next door, just that way. And um, Bob and his dad, they used to run the, run the garage uh, on the London Road, just across there. Uh, they moved here in the 1950s, and Bob's dad rang it, and then Bob took it over. He went to a Christian school, he left school at 14, and he didn't darken the doors of a church for about the next 65 years. And then God started to call him. One day I was looking out the window one Saturday morning, and Bob was walking down the lane with his dog. And he called across, and he said, as, you, you know, as people generally do, uh, where can I find the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament? <laughs> that's, your, that's your average dog-walking conversation right there. Where can I find the Ten Commandments in the, in the Old Testament? So, um, so I said, oh, Exodus chapter 20. And then I quickly ran indoors <laughs> to make sure I got it right. So I had. And, but that began, that began a series of conversations with Bob. And the Lord called him to himself. And you'll, some of you will know that Bob and his wife Anna started worshipping regularly a few years ago, I was preaching on this passage and I read these words. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And Bob came straight up to me at the end of that service and he said, I should be baptised, shouldn't I? I should be baptised, shouldn't I? The Lord had spoken to him. And, uh, and he was at the age of, I don't know, 80, 81, 82. We baptised Bob. Some, it took several months to work out how we were going to get him in and out of the tank without, <laughs> without doing damage. But we, um, we worked it out. And it was, the most, it was the most beautiful thing. And the thing that Bob often used to say to me, because I, I used to go and visit him often. And he was, so, he was so bowled over by the grace of God. He was so bowled over by God's mercy. He was so bowled over by what... <laughs> Jesus had done for him on the cross. And he just kept saying to me, he said, I wish, I wish I'd known this sooner. I wish I'd known this sooner. I wish I hadn't lived all these years without knowing the grace of Jesus Christ. And it was just the most, most lovely thing when he was baptised here. But that's the thing, you see, God has done something. God has done something in his son, Jesus Christ. And he, he invites us to respond you see, what, what God is looking for is relationship. So he won't, he won't force us. He doesn't kick the door down into our lives. He doesn't barge his way in. But he invites us. He, if you like, he woos us with his, with his love because it's about relationship. And he invites us and he says, look, this is, this is how much I love you. I loved you so much that I, I went to the cross for you and I, I died for you. This is what I've done for you. And he invites us to make a response. And what is that response? Well, as Peter says, repent. What is that? It just means turn around. Turn around and start heading towards him. 
rather than away from him. Uh, when I was doing, uh, years ago, when I was doing um, uh, baptism services in a former life uh, up in the north in, in, in Chesley Street, uh, I used to illustrate this with a pig. It was a little toy pig uh, with batteries. And uh, I used to walk across the floor. And uh, I used to turn it, because there were children there. So I used to turn the little piggy on and put it on the floor, and it would oink, oink, oink its way across the floor, away from me. Uh, and then I would go across, and I'd turn the little pig around, and he'd oink, oink, oink his back towards me. And I'd say, the pig has repented. <laughs> because he just turned around. He needed a little bit of help, but he just turned around. He started heading back. That's what re- it just means to start facing towards the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and when we first do that, we can be very, very far away. Our lives can be in a complete mess. We can be very far away. When you first turn, you can be far away, but at least you're facing in the right direction. Be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What a wonderful thing to know that the mess that we make can be forgiven. The mess that we make can be forgiven. We don't have to carry it around with us. We don't have to lug it around feeling guilty and ashamed. We can be forgiven. We can be restored. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And he's calling you to himself. And I know that some of us in the room, we we know and love the Lord Jesus. Some of us are thinking about loving the Lord Jesus. Some of us may not have even given it a second thought, but the truth is God loves each and every one of us. He's calling us to himself and his invitation is that we should have life in all its fullness. And the only thing we have to do is, is just turn around and come to him. We don't have to do anything, we don't have to bring anything, we don't have to present anything, we just come with our mess and dump it at his feet. Allow him to take it on the cross and allow him to give us new life. I was 17 years old when I started following Jesus. I didn't quite know what I was letting myself in for. I just believed that the Easter story was true, that Jesus had died and that he'd risen again and that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus was compelling, that it was history. And I thought, well, if Jesus has done that for me, then what else can I do but follow him for the rest of my life? And that's what I've done and what I'm still doing. And it's not an easy journey. It's not an easy road. It's not, oh, follow Jesus and everything will go well. It's follow Jesus and he'll be with you. He'll be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll be with you in the the mess and the pain and the joys and the sorrows. But he'll be with you forever. Sometimes people ask me, um, well, they don't, but I say that they have just so I can make the point. Um, I don't think anyone's ever asked me this question, but hey, we'll just throw it in as a rhetorical question. No one's ever asked me, but I sometimes say this point just to make the point. Are you looking forward to eternal life? Are you looking forward to eternal life? And I always say no. I'm not looking forward to eternal life. Because I began my eternal life on the 23rd of January, 1982. When I said to Jesus, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made and the sins that I've committed. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life and would you help me live for you for the rest of my life? So I'm not looking forward to eternal life because I've started to enjoy it. I'm just looking forward to it getting better. I'm just looking forward to it being made perfect. But I know if, 
If, you know, if my life were to come to an end today, that's not a problem. Because I'll be with Jesus. You'll have to find another pastor, but you'll find one. But um, I can be with Jesus. I love, I love getting older. I love, we live in a culture where people don't want, I love getting older. Because every day I'm a day nearer being with Jesus. So I love the journey. I love Jesus. I love telling people about Jesus. I hope that God will give me many, many more years in, to do that. And I'm just going to finish with an opportunity for you, if you'd like to, just to say yes to Jesus this morning. What a great way to celebrate Easter. What greater way to celebrate Easter than by saying, yeah, Jesus, I want, I want to follow you. Or even, I want to find out more. I want to begin this journey to discover this fullness of life that you have for me. So let's just um, bow, our, bow our heads, shut our eyes, if, uh, if that helps. And I'm just going to lead in a prayer. And maybe you want to just echo this prayer in your heart. And if you do, then please, please, please do that.